Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast, the Wednesday before football season. Hey, this time next week, we're going to be talking about a football game that just happened and another football game that will be about to happen. So we can't wait. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark and Wes Mitchell with me as always. Really fun show for you guys today. Obviously a lot to get to. But before we do that, I want to mention a huge shout out. Big thanks to our new sponsor of the podcast, Schlotzky's Deli. They got a great thing going on that Wes is going to tell you about a little bit later in the podcast throughout the entirety of football season. That's going to be a lot of fun, an opportunity for you to get a lot of free, delicious food. So stick around to a little bit later and Wes will tell you all about that. Also want to remind you to check out the new podcast from the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, and that is the Get Cocky Podcast, hosted by myself with a whole host of different guests. Our first episode has Andrew Mason Dixon. We're doing all the over-under win totals for all the SEC East and West teams. We're going to get into a little bit of South Carolina, North Carolina-specific preview, a giant overview of the entire season vis-a-vis Carolina's over-under win total. But first things first, guys, we're going to start with the depth chart, the preseason depth chart, which is going to be the end up being the whole season depth chart, came out Monday afternoon. Will Muschamp addressed some questions about it Tuesday during his press conference. Not a bunch of huge surprises. We talked, uh, I guess, around the midway point of camp about where a lot of the position battles stood. Not a lot has changed in the meantime, but I guess where I wanted to start uh, as we look at the depth chart is the five instances of a position group having an or listed somewhere in the two deep. That's probably the best place to start. We'll just go ahead and start with the offensive side of the ball. One of the position groups that we earmarked at the beginning of camp that we talked about at the midway point, that was the right guard. It seemed like Eric Douglas had won that position. Um, Javon Gwynn seemed to be the clear backup as of about two weeks ago, but according to the newest Jeff chart uh, that came out, I don't remember if that was Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning, uh, right now it is listed as Eric Douglas or Javon Gwynn. I think all three of us are still expecting Eric Douglas to start, but does that indicate to y'all that Javon Gwynn has made a a strong push here these last couple weeks? I I think it's just that they're still battling, and I I think, um, you know, this team's going to need Javon Gwynn, you know, this season. I I think uh, for sure you always are going to have guys banged up, and even if Javon Gwynn is the, quote, backup at right guard to start the year, he's, you know, essentially, essentially the sixth offensive lineman you know he's the first guy that's going to go on the field if anybody else has to come out um you know they'll shift some guys around and stuff but you know I I think you look at um the situation there I think anytime you have a close battle like that um you know just uh putting the oar on there and and not really completely singling out one guy as a starter sort of I think represents that that thing's going to keep going that it could definitely change uh, it could change by week two and um you know I think that's just as much about maybe rewarding a guy who's done everything that's asked of him and, and sort of continuing that competition there. And, um, you know, I th- I'm, I'm curious to see how Eric Douglas can match up. I, I think he's had a, a, a very good offseason for what we've heard. I think getting stronger was something that he's had to do and that he has done. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how he plays. And I, I'm very curious to see how the two new starters, Douglas and, and Hank Manos, um, fare not just this week but as the season goes along. Your point about Eric Douglas sort of being everybody's backup is is taken well, and I think it's a good point and probably says as much about the or as anything else. I mean, like you said, if anybody gets hurt, it's probably going to be Douglas and then Javon Gwynn sliding in, making him that sixth offensive lineman, sort of the Malik, uh, Malik Young role from last year. But what I was surprised and I guess encouraged to see 
And again, maybe I'm reading too much into this because I know Will Muschamp doesn't overly take stock in the depth chart as he doesn't change it at all throughout the course of the season. But I like seeing actual backups listed at all of the positions as opposed to just starters and other positions being listed as the actual backups. Ja'Kai Moore, uh, the backup at the left tackle. Jordan Rhodes at the left guard. Vincent Murphy um, at the center. Javon Gwynn at right guard. And Eric Douglas at right tackle. So I guess just one redundancy there. Um, and again, I don't know if that is them actually saying here's who goes in if such and such player goes down or if it's just a matter of getting those names on there. But at least looking at it, at least for the eyeball test, it's nice to not see too many redundancies. Yeah, I I, um, I was a little bit surprised that, that Jalen Nichols didn't get a list there as, as the backup right tackle. Um, you know, he's a guy, I think they're very high on him long term, very high on Ja'Kai Moore. I think, um, you know, as we go through it, Chris, I think if the left tackle spot would go down, then... Douglas would go in at left tackle. Javon Gwynn would go in at right guard. Um, if the left guard were to go down, Douglas would go in there. Gwynn in at right guard. If uh, the center were, were to go down, I think you'd see Donnell Stanley slide to center. Douglas to left guard. Gwynn in at right guard. Um, obviously, if Douglas came out at right guard, Gwynn would go in. And um, if Dylan Wanham came out at right tackle, you'd see Eric Douglas go in at right tackle and Javon Gwynn slide in at right guard, I think is how they would do it. I think the real question is what would happen next? Who you know, who's yeah. who's the seventh guy? Jo- Jordan Rhodes at guard yeah. would be a guy. Um, you know, Eric Wolford mentioned that they moved uh they rep Dylan Wanham some at left tackle. So he could hypothetically always move there and then you play, you know, maybe you play Jalen Nichols there at mm-hmm. right tackle, um, or something of that nature. Or if Douglas is still in there, you can move him to right tackle and want him to left. You know, it does seem like that. You know, Douglas is obviously the first guy. It seems like it at almost any spot. Yeah. You know, he may be the first guy up, except for center, like you said, probably Donnell in that case. But Douglas is a key, you know, swing guy. But they do seem to feel pretty good about Javon Gwynn, pretty good about Jordan Rhodes as well. I think the tackle situation is the one that you'd really have to watch because, you know, aside from Douglas or shifting Dylan Wanham over. It gets a little dicier there because then you're talking about true freshmen, and, and although those guys are talented, you know, it gets a little dicey with those guys. And I, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably hit on this a little bit more as we go, but as much as the depth is improved, there's still a handful of guys that I sort of have circled, at least in my mind, where I say, can't afford to lose that guy. And, um, you know, I, I think particularly just the offensive tackles in general, that, you know, I think keeping Hutcherson, keeping Dylan Wanham healthy is is a key for this season when you start talking about the depth on the offensive line. And, you know, yeah, they, they could absorb some th- some things there if they have to, but, um, you know, you start having to throw the freshmen into the mix, particularly earlier in the year, um, you know, that that's obviously not a very ideal situation. So like with any season, you just cross your fingers and hope that nobody gets hurt, especially up front on the offensive line, especially when you have a lot of unproven depth sort of uh, behind those guys. But anyways, that's the first or I wanted to go over. That's the right guard, Eric Douglas or Javon Gwynn. Uh, next up in terms of the ors on the depth chart at running back, not a huge surprise because I, I feel like we've seen this pretty much every year that Will Muschamp's been here. I was a little bit surprised. I, I, I thought we'd see one or. I thought we would see a Rico Dowdle or Tavian Feaster and then Mondenson, but it is officially listed as Rico Dowdle or Tavian Feaster or Mondenson. I was a little bit discouraged to see this. I was hoping that one or two of those guys would have separated them or him him or themselves from the other one or two guys. But it seems like it's just as up in the air as it's always been, which makes me a little bit pessimistic that Carolina that this is the season that Carolina is going to find a bell cow back. I, I think, honestly, it's a little bit more of 
um, a motivating factor for those guys. You know, I, I mean, look, do, do they have one guy that is just astronomically better than the other or two guys that are just absolutely head and shoulders? No, but we, we knew that going into the year. I think even if everybody's improved on the roster, which it seems like they – I mean, Tavian Feaster, you know, sort of is is more proven in some ways than Amon Denson because he's just – he's been around a little bit longer. Rico Dowdle, you know, has proven that he's a good player, but when he's healthy, you know, that that's the key thing. So um, those guys have seemed to get better, and we've heard from multiple people that, you know, Tavian Feaster's arrival has elevated the other's games, you know, and, and then Kevin Harris is a freshman's in the mix too, but – I don't think it's any sort of surprise that there's not one or two guys that are just, wow, these guys are incredible because it's the same personnel, you know. Um, I think it's more of almost a motivating factor. They're they're trying to get these guys to understand that they've got to be better in the run game, and, and a lot of that the past couple few years has been uh, the running backs have to play better. They've got to run through contact. They've got to make guys miss. They've got to be healthy, of course. That helps. Um, but I think it's just – it's a little bit of, yeah, nobody's separated. I do think that, that Dowdle and Feaster are the top two, you know, but I think you put the oar in there for Mon Denson because he's done some very good things in the preseason. He's got some experience, and they're just trying to push every button that they can uh, to get these guys to recognize that it's going to be a competition and that whoever plays the best in practice and on game day is going to get the reps. But at this point, would you all still expect the breakdown in terms of carries? Like if the coaches had to script out the whole game, obviously it's going to have a lot to do with the flow of the game, who's running well, who's running not. But at this point, if I said that Rico got, was going to get 17 carries, Tavian was going to get 11 and Mom would get seven or eight, does that still feel right to you all? Or do you think it's a, even a little bit more up in the air than that? I think it's very up in the air between what I consider 1A and 1B, which is Daddle and Feaster in some order. I, I think that's going to be determined by the game. You know, I think I think your your Denson breakdown is probably about right. And, I, you know, I, I think, honestly, in my opinion, it's just as much about just minimizing the storyline as much as anything because, uh, you know, the depth chart went out on Monday. Players talked on Tuesday. Um, the second they put it out there, you know, just as an example, if Tavian Feaster is listed as the starter, <laughs> that is all of a sudden a story that right. is is on every single media outlet. Hey, Tavian Feaster has beaten out the other backs um, after arriving, you know, the the second day of, of camp or whatever it was. Um, if Rico Daddle is listed as the starter, all of a sudden – that is a new story, and it's yeah. and it's Tavian is not as expected. Yeah, you Tavian know, he's has not, not been able to beat out. Yeah, Rico he's not. Yeah. I, I think so. This yeah. this is a preventative measure for people like us. I I mean, well, <laughs> no. in in some for way, some I people. think there's an aspect <laughs> of that because I I don't I don't think they want it to be a story mm-hmm. who the starter is. I, I think it's going to be oh, you know, Rico Daddle went out there first, or a Tavian Feaster went out there first. Um you know, and I, I think you just throw Ramon Denson in there because he's a guy who's a senior and has done everything that's asked of him and has been a steady presence. You know, he was really he was the only guy of the three that was here this spring and healthy this spring and went through the whole spring practice with Thomas Brown. So, you know, I, I think that's more of a nod to him and you know, you know, as a senior, not to sort of then single him out as the one guy who's not, you know, in in the mix there. I, I think I think it's just about minimizing the entire thing. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter at all who starts on Saturday what matters for the season is going to be which guy performs the best you know so I I think they're just trying to minimize the whole thing and um, I I would be very curious like you said we're recording this on Wednesday 
I would be very curious to know um, if they've told the guys yet who uh, who's who going to take the first the snap yeah. or if it's just literally sort of like they've minimized it with them as well. Like, you yeah. know, whichever one of you takes the first snap doesn't matter. It's who performs the best. Well, and that was what we heard from Tavian yesterday. They had a little bit of player media availability, and he was like, look, we don't really care who gets the first snap. It's all about who gets the most snaps. And so it's, it sounds like the, the coaching staff has gotten that running back room to sort of buy into that same philosophy, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a good thing. Uh, next up, this is the only or that's listed for a backup on the depth chart, but a defensive tackle backing up Javon Kinlaw, we have a Zach Pickens or Rick Sandage. Um, I guess interesting thing to me just right off the bat is Rick Sandage feels like more of a true backup to Javon Kinlaw, where Zach Pickens is, I, I don't want to call him necessarily the DeCarion joiner of the defense, but he seems like someone that could be moved around, played in a couple different positions. I, I think I feel like he'll probably end up playing uh, Javon Kinlaw as much, like playing next to him as much as he'll end up like really backing him, him up just in an effort to get him on the field. Is that is that a is that a fair read? Um, maybe, you know, I think, I think Rick and Zach have, have both had really good, um, off seasons, you know, with, with obviously Zach getting in in the spring and, you know, Rick going through, um, you know, his, his second off season with the, with the team, I guess. And, you know, I, I think the or there doesn't matter as much with the news that Kier Thomas is, uh, out for the next, for at least the first two weeks, because now, you know, basically, Th- those are your four guys, Javon Kinlaw and Kobe Smith starting, and then Zach Pickens and Rick Sandage backing them up. So, you know, I, I think the or um, probably was used there just to include both those guys because both those guys are going to play a bunch. Both those guys are going to, um, you know, I think probably play each defensive tackle spot. It, it seems like it's going to be sort of um, interchangeable. But, you know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised depending on matchups and obviously depending on Kier Thomas's health as the year goes on. If, um, you know, at times Javon or Kobe ends up backing up Javon and then Zach or, or Rick are on the field beside them. But I, I think both those guys, like, you know, I, I don't want to minimize Rick Sandage either. I think both these guys are, are going to be really good players in the future and um, probably going to be type guys that, that flash this year, that make some big plays. And, you know, I I think, especially with the Kier Thomas news, here here's my question for everybody. How, how quickly – do we see 26 and or 90 run out on the field on Saturday? Obviously, neither one of them starting, but I think, you know, and it depends on, hey, does the opponent get a couple of first downs? Do you yeah, go definitely. three and out, et cetera, et cetera? I'm going to say I think by the third, by the third drive, if it's, you know, if you have two three and outs or by the third first down, if it's you so know, the third phase of offense for North Carolina, basically, yeah, okay. I, I think you, I think you're going to see those guys on the field quickly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Third or fourth is probably when you get them in, and you know they go into a game with a preconceived idea of here's here's our two three deep, and here's sort of our progression as to who we want to play up front. You know, sure they'll they'll talk about that stuff in the back end, but it's more important for your front. You know, in terms of your defensive linemen, those are the guys that are uh, arguably at most points exerting the most energy, especially when you're talking about pass rush or chasing the ball sideline to sideline, and, and they're big dudes. So they're they're getting tired out faster, and uh, that's an area where you don't want to have a bunch of big, tired, 250- to 300-pound guys. So, yeah, I would say third or fourth series uh, makes a lot of sense there. Yeah, and we'll your point about the Keir Thomas injury is well taken, and the defensive line's interesting because, I mean, the rotation 
I don't know. The rotation doesn't like overly matter to me. Obviously, you have a first group out there, someone that's going to play the majority of the snaps, but they're going to play as many guys as they feel like can actually get out there and help. Uh, so the only reason I, I mentioned sort of just the distinction between Pickens and Sandage is not to disparage Sandage, who I'm really high on. We saw flashes even last year of what he could do, but you know, just more in terms of Pickens' versatility. You know, I don't know if if they have any sort of you know kind of rabbits package where you know we've seen Carolina play you know smaller defensive ends and you know and and then like a true defensive end inside a defensive tackle you know that's somewhere where I could see Zach Pickens playing you know right right along um, Javon Kinlaw but uh, the other thing that's interesting about the Kier Thomas injury and we can kind of group that in because that's the next or on the list is the Kobe Smith or Kier Thomas obviously with the news that Kier Thomas is going to miss a couple of weeks it makes sense that that's going to be Pickens and Sandage but I wonder if a guy that's not listed here on the two deep uh, and Joe Anderson, that Will Muschamp mentioned yesterday, and both of y'all kind of alerted me to, hey, be on the lookout for this guy. You'll tell me about him months ago as someone that could really emerge. I wonder how much of a factor he starts to play in the early part of the season with Thomas being out. Um, well, you know, I I would even look at Jabari Ellis. You know, he's a guy um, has played some defensive end. I think played inside as well. Um, you know, Joe Anderson, I think, is more of an edge guy for them right now. Um, in the future, he maybe could be an inside guy, but um. You know, I think Joe's even been repping at, at the Buck um, quite a bit, too. And, you know, maybe could be inside on some pass rush stuff like you're talking about if you're trying to sort of isolate guards with pass rushers and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I would say ne- next guy up at defensive tackle once we get past those four, um, Chris, do you think it's probably a competition between Jabari Ellis and maybe Tariq Johnson? Potentially, I mean, am I forgetting somebody as far as the next man up at yeah, defensive tackle? It'd be interesting to see if if they would utilize Tyreek there. It probably depends on the snap level. You know, if you're staying around sixty offensive snaps, which would be great for the defense. You know, if you're playing about sixty, then maybe not. Maybe they don't have to sort of dig Get down to the that low, right? But um, yeah, maybe. And uh, you know, Ellis has worked inside and out, like you said. You know, they've done some things. I mean, from what we saw in preseason, we know we don't, they want to do some of this this year. Is they've played some three man and some four man, and Jabari's actually been playing the and and Joe Anderson. They've played the end in that mm-hmm. package sometimes, um, sort of that five technique type of role. So yeah, I, I would say those two um, make a lot of sense there. And Joe, you know, like you said, Wes has worked some bucks, some end. Um, he's taken some second team reps at times and has in, impressed the staff in terms of you know how he can rush the passer. I think maybe even uh, they, they obviously really like the kid out of high school, but I think maybe even surprised folks a little bit with with uh, how he's looked rushing the passer. Last of our oars, the fifth of five, the strong side linebacker Sherrod Green or true freshman Jamar Brown. Now caveat here: Carolina is probably going to be playing a lot of nickel. That's been sort of the conversation. That's why it's been so imperative for Carolina to find that starting nickel, which is uh, Jamie Robinson, according to the first step chart. Uh, but obviously, the Mike linebacker Ernest Jones, who's had a tremendous, tremendous, he had a tremendous spring, is having a tremendous August, has really cemented himself as the will, allowing Carolina to move TJ, or as the Mike, allowing TJ Brunson to move to the will. And then when Carolina is in a set where they have three linebackers, it is now officially a Sherrod Green or Jamar Brown. Does this say more about Sherrod Green or Jamar Brown? Um, well, I think. For both those guys, it's a a big positive, I, I think, because that means you've you've beaten out the guy who was sort of penciled in there to start the the camp. You know, Eldridge Thompson was listed. I went back and looked. Eldridge Thompson was listed as the strong side linebacker, as the Sam preseason depth chart, and it was just him. Yeah, that it was, was literally a, just I him at that. that spot. So 
you know, both these guys have, have beaten out, um, at least according to this, have beaten out Eldridge Thompson, a senior who, who you know, offseason comments from Muschamp, they were excited to have him back for, you know, for his sixth year. So I, I think you look at that position, um, you know, the, the linebackers in general, I think, have been upgraded this year because of what Ernest Jones was able to do. And um, Ernest Jones steps in at, at the mic, then all of a sudden I think you can upgrade your will linebacker spot with T.J. Brunson, and now you have a guy in Shride Green who, you know, played a lot last year, had, um, you know, had some good moments, had some moments he wants back, I'm sure, but now can sort of maybe focus in. I know he's still playing some will too, it sounds like, but um, can sort of focus in on that strong side linebacker spot. And, um, you know, Jamar Brown been very, very impressive ever since he arrived on campus. Um, you know, I think it, it says a lot about him that he's – already on the depth chart. They wanted to mention him on the depth chart and, and sort of um, give him some recognition there. And, um, you know, I'm curious to see what this linebacking group can do. They they seem excited about this group comparatively. And, um, you know, I think they they think they don't have to really change up their calls if they're in, you know, their second team is out there and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the thing about that spot is a lot of weeks it's going to come down to matchups as well. Um you know, they do play some teams that are going to be in some two-back, uh, that are going to be more power run-based teams. That's when you're going to see, you know, three linebackers on the field. And in those cases, uh, you know, there will probably be occasions where you're going to see Danny Fennell, um move out back to that spot because he's played it a lot in his career as well. Yeah, and Jamar, I mean, Jamar Brown, to go back to him, he's a pretty impressive guy. I mean, um, he's already put on, you know, a good amount of weight. He's up to what, in between 215 to 220 range. Of course, when he was being recruited, a lot of people said this this kid's too small. You know, we've heard that about that. That was a knock on Sky Moore coming out of high school. He did okay, you know. And I'm not saying Jamar Brown's gonna, you know, tie the interceptions record as a linebacker. Or no, be but, as, but, but be, he was playing at like 190 in high school, so he's added 225 pounds. Right. So, pounds. so he's gotten a lot bigger, and you know, this is a guy that I mean, he was a he was a I think a low or mid three star guy, but he was. At, at one position, the top linebacker on South Carolina's board as far as, you know, guys that they had on that were attainable guys that they recruited. And so they love the guy and, and um, you know, really like his, his smarts, his ability to play sideline to sideline. He can cover. Um, he can run. He's physical. He's got a nose for the ball. And so, you know, now that he's added some weight, and he'll, he'll continue. Look, he's still just a freshman, so he'll have some struggles in, the, in terms of he's not going to be a grown man like some of these guys that they're going to be playing against. Um, but he's got a chance to see the field in year one, which is, you know, pretty impressive. And he played for a great high school team at St. Thomas Aquinas. That's it for the five oars, the real, like, on-paper sorts of position battles. Is there anything else from the announcement of the fi- the official depth chart that jumped out to you guys that you wanted to discuss before we move on to some bigger preseason thoughts? You know, I don't know if it jumped out, but in, just in terms of specialists, the fact that, you know, you sort of go back to – what you trust with the returners, with Brian Edwards at punt return, A.J. Turner, correct, at kick return. Mm-hmm. Um, Shy Smith backing both of them up. And Shy Smith backing both of them up. And Shy, you know, is, I was going to say arguably, I don't I don't really think it's even arguable. He, he is a more electric option than those guys in terms of probably his big play potential. Um, but the, when you look at Brian and when you look at A.J., I mean, there's a couple guys that have done it. Um, they've been around their seniors. Brian, you know, was the guy with punt return last season. The number one priority there is secure the football. And so um, I'm not surprised that they went with the guy that they feel best about doing that. And then A.J. Turner, you know, has some kick return experience. Be playing, unless there's injury, he'll be playing defensive back this year. 
um, but a guy that you know that they they feel like is a he's a really good special teams player. He's probably going to be on every special team anyway, and and sort of just keeping that on his plate as well. Not a big surprise, but I, I just thought it was interesting that that's the the route they went as opposed to a newcomer or somebody else. Yeah, I thought maybe we'd see Xavier Leggett break into the two deep there as either the backup kick returner or punt returner since we've heard so much about him just being an electric athlete. Uh, that has not happened yet, which is not to say it won't happen over the course of the season. It's just not right there on the two deep right now. Uh, all the specialists stay the same. The only exception, obviously, being long snapper uh, Matt Oliveira coming in as a grad transfer. That was expected. Obviously, he wasn't on the team last year, but pretty much chalk there from the specialists. Uh, the only other thing that surprised me looking at the early depth chart is just seeing RJ Roderick at the backup at nickel and safety. He was someone that, I mean, I think even the three of us just sort of talked about him as one of those three guys that was going to start somewhere at one of the safety spots or the nickel. Um, I, I guess that's probably credit to Jemias Williams and JT Ebay for having a great camp to lock down those safety spots and for Jamie Robinson to, to come on strong and be able to secure that nickel. But it is surprising for a guy that started half of last season and, and showed flashes and looked pretty good. Yeah, and it, it it might be a little bit more. You might see, and Wes mentioned, you know, matchup related in terms of the linebackers. You could see that some this season. I mean, RJ's a, a bigger, more physical presence, whereas Jam is a little bit more of a cover type safety, although he can roll down. He's, he's a better tackler than he gets credit for, especially with his size. He's good at roaming around and finding the football. Um so, yeah, I think RJ's still going to play a key role in this team, probably on special teams. Um, he's still going to play, I think, plenty. He could end up, even end up starting this season. But, you know, JT missed some time, but you got to remember, I mean, he's an experienced guy. He's a sharp guy, knows the defense well. Safety's a hard position, you know, from a mental standpoint to play. And all these guys that they've got now, they've they've got experience in it. They've picked it up. You know, you're not, say, at the end of the year last year when you're playing, you know, two guys, really, both of, of whom are banged up. And they're they're inexperienced, so um, I think that's a positive for them. And, and Jam did have a good camp; he's healthy, he's full go. Uh, JT had the uh, pec issue, you know, during the during this preseason, but uh, he worked through that and, and looks like he's going to be healthy and ready to go. So I think you just credit those two guys more. And uh, RJ had you know a little some minor deals as well during preseason. Nothing that's expected to keep him out. Wes, anything else to jump out to you from the depth chart? Um, well, I, I think the the big story there is just uh, Jamie Robinson and the job he's done, um, dude. I mean, I I've heard some just rave reviews about this kid. You know, freshman All SEC, I, I think is definitely within his grasp. I mean, anytime you start early on in you know in the SEC as a freshman, you got a, a pretty good shot of earning that distinction. But um, you know, th- this kid has come in, been outstanding in coverage. I think is is the thing that's maybe. Um, would surprise people the most. Yeah, he's a nickel safety type, but his coverage ability is still very, very good. And, you know, we're talking about man lockdown, you know, turn your hips and, and play the guy in front of you type coverage. And, you know, I think that's big. We, we talked all offseason about him sort of being the wild card in this bunch that would allow the other pieces to fall into place. And um, that's happened. And, you know, it hasn't been because the job sort of fell to him. It hasn't been because of necessity. It's been because he went out and earned it. And, you know, I think Jamie fits in perfectly with this defense as far as the secondary and the mindset they're trying to create and the attitude that guys like J.C. Horn and Izzy McQuamie bring to the table. Um, he's He's got some of that in him. He's got the swagger you have to play with to play that position at this level and in this conference. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what Jamie Robinson's going to do. I think if you if you're going to sort of name a freshman 
out of all the true freshmen that is going to make the biggest early impact on this team, then uh, it's clearly going to be Jamie Robinson. And to your point, I mentioned this a little bit with the offensive line. It's really nice to look at the depth chart and not see too much redundancy. In fact, only one instance of any redundancy. And even at the start of camp, the three of us sat there and we looked at the depth chart and it's like, well, you know, AJ Turner's the backup at both corners and JC Horn's the backup at the nickel. But you have at one corner spot, JC Horn backed up by John Dixon. At the other, Israel Mukwamu backed up by AJ Turner. At one safety, you have JT Ebay and Jamie Robinson. At the other safety, you have Jemias Williams and RJ Roderick. And at the nickel, you have Jamie Robinson and RJ Roderick. So I guess two instances of redundancy. But it's just nice to see that those guys have have come along in terms of the freshman and John Dixon and Jamie Robinson, um, and that JT eBay, despite the injury, is, is obviously good enough to go. The Jemias has had a good camp and solidified that starting role. You're right. It helps everything fall into place, which is, you know, exactly what you need, especially just a year removed from, from everybody on the football team and all the fans being absolutely traumatized by uh, not even like the lack of depth, but just the, the lack of bodies. So I, I guess you feel probably a little bit better about that position group headed into the season. Anyways, that is the two deep uh, for the North Carolina game. And if you ever go look at the two deep again, it's going to be that for the rest of the season, even if that changes. So this is the last time we'll ever really get to talk about an on-paper depth chart. We're three days away from the start of kickoff, right on the edge of the season starting. I was looking at, uh, and by the way, you can go check out the new Gamecock Central podcast as soon as it's posted, the Get Cocky podcast, which is hosted by myself. Got a, got a bunch of guests that are going to be coming on with me throughout the course of the season. But to get things started, I uh, did a podcast with Andrew Mason Dixon discussing some over-under win totals for all the SEC teams. First episode is East, second episode is the West. Very surprised. And we knew what the over-under was for Carolina, although depending on where you looked, it was either 6.5 or 6. Uh, but right now, uh, at least the book that we were using for reference, South Carolina is listed at six wins. That's their over-under. And the crazy part about this is that the over is plus 110. The under is minus 155. Um, for those of you that know what that means, great. For those of you that don't, we're not going to overly like fixate on the gambling part of this. Um, but guys, we'll just do this real quick. We don't have to run through game by game. But if I told you right now that the value pick was Carolina over six games and that the most of the money was going on the under... That seems a little bit wild, right? We're not being too optimistic here, thinking Carolina's going to win at least six games. I mean, I, I I keep sort of, when I try to break it down, seven wins is what I sort of keep going to as being, um, I don't know if that's my prediction yet. I, I struggle with that type of stuff. But seven wins just keeps popping out in my mind as being um, a, a good year. It means things have gone pretty well. You know, I, I think um, fan base maybe is okay with that. I wouldn't say even then they're going to be overly excited with it. Yeah. But It's, it's kind of sad. Um, there seems to already be sort of a resolution in the fan base that this is going to be not the most exciting year, which stinks, you know? People should enjoy this time of year. I think it's going to be exciting. Yeah, I think exciting. Uh, yeah. It will be exciting. And it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's just... That's a definite. The, the matter of how many wins can you actually find on right, that schedule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they, if they win, if they go eight and four with this schedule, then... Will Muschamp should be SEC Coach of the Year, I think. Um, without knowing what anybody else is doing, just to get eight wins. That means, because if you break it down, I'm and I'm, not, I'm talking about regular season wins, yeah. if you if you break it down, then that means either A, South Carolina has beaten every single team that they were supposed to, to beat and all the sort of toss-up games. Because mm-hmm. we, you know, from a South Carolina perspective and, you know, the South Carolina fan base, Everybody likes to take the toss-ups and throw them in the win column. You know, when you start <laughs> predicting a season, you like to say, oh, well, you know, surely Car- Carolina will beat Missouri. 
Carolina will beat Kentucky this year. Carolina will yeah. beat Tennessee. You like to take the toss-up games and, and toss them in the win total. But so eight and four means either a you've won every single game you're supposed to and the toss-up games, or you lost one of those along the way, but you've beaten one of the four teams that no one gives South Carolina any credit to beat. Mm. So, so that so, means go ahead. That means there's a marquee <laughs> victory right in the mix. Which and I'm I'm putting. Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and then Texas A and M in that four, where they're going to be heavy underdogs. I heavy think. underdog. Yeah. Yeah. My only my only pushback to that in terms of, I mean, eight and four would would be a great season given the schedule, assuming that those losses are to Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and Texas A and M. The only thing missing from the from that scenario though is that Will Muschamp's still really kind of looking for a marquee win. There's a very good there's a very good chance that Carolina could go eight and four and not have a win over a ranked team. The only other ranked team right now on Carolina's schedule. Uh, you know, other than the ones that we're assuming they're going to lose, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Clemson, as of right now, is Florida. And I think it's a very realistic possibility that Florida's not ranked by the time they play Carolina. they got to play Auburn and they have to play LSU before they play South Carolina. If they lose both of those games, you could see Florida slip out of the top 10 or top 25. I mean, not to mention just a generally uninspired performance against Miami last week and not overly sold on this Florida team. Now, I'm not saying that 8-4 and four wouldn't be good, but it would still be lacking... I think what fans have been waiting for for a couple years now, which is like that real like marquee Will Muschamp hang your hat on that win. Well, it's tough. I, I I can see you know especially given that South Carolina just hasn't done it yet. But it's not just that you're playing probably four at least four. If you're if you're taking Florida out, you're playing four ranked teams. Okay, but you're playing three top five teams, right? I mean, where is yeah, I mean they're all How about top three, five. top three teams. Top okay, top <laughs> three teams. Okay, so that's a little different. Yeah. yeah, okay. If you're talking about playing, not just one, not two, but three teams that are at the top of college football, pick the three teams that are at the peak of college football right now. It's those three, right? I mean, is that fair? Yeah, it, it's Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. They got to play all of them. Now, now name one team in the country that you would say, aside from those three, would be favored against even one of those teams. Nobody, you, you don't pick one. You pick. You say maybe Clemson's favored against Bama or or, mm-hmm. or Georgia. You say maybe Georgia will be favored against a, a Bama or a Clemson. But there's nobody. So you know, the only if, other team if they maybe in the discussion is like maybe Oklahoma, but maybe, probably not even them. Maybe they, they might be favored to, to beat one of them, but yeah, probably but not, not all three. Probably yeah. not. So you know, I, and I'm not. Some people say, "Oh, well, Chris is already making excuses." No, 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 <laughs> no. They, they do need to get a ranked win, but. I'm saying it's different. Who's in the bottom of the top 25, Wes? Give me three teams. I'll give you uh, Nebraska, Iowa, and Iowa State. Okay. Now, if South Carolina played those three and couldn't get a top 25 win, obviously they wouldn't play all three of those. Those are all out of conference, but pretend they're in the same conference or just a team that is on those level, and they couldn't come out of the season with one top 25 win out of those. Okay. I'm with you a little bit more there. Yeah, well, no, but we're talking top three yeah. teams where nobody, you know. And so, I'm not saying those losses should be held against Will Muschamp. Right. I'm just saying it's it, people talk about how hard the schedule is, and they're right. And that the top of the 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 peak hardness of the schedule, like Carolina's hard games are, I'm not going to say unwinnable, but are literally the hardest hard games you could possibly schedule. Yes. Then they have the easy games, and then the toss ups. I mean, like you're saying, Wes, it's easy for a fan, especially at the beginning of the season, to you know put those toss-up games into the wing category. Everybody wants to throw them in the wing But category. even if you're yeah. Carolina, okay, so so let's do it like this. So North Carolina, 
We'll, we'll put that in the win column for Carolina. It's not a guarantee. There's no such thing as a guarantee, but Carolina is going to be a 10-point favorite by kickoff. So you, that's that's one win for Carolina. Put Charleston Southern in the win category. Is it fair to put Kentucky in the win category? I know they've lost five years in a row, but, I mean, that kind of trend doesn't actually matter, you know? I mean, yeah. this is going to be a, a, a very, very different-looking Kentucky team from last year. You put Vanderbilt in there. You put Appalachian State in there. So that's five wins right there. So then even if Carolina goes 500 in their games against Missouri, Florida, Tennessee, and Texas A&M, even if they win two of those, they're 7-5. and five. So mm-hmm. to go back to my initial question, the over-under for Carolina is 6. A push is 6. That's like that's the low end of good. 5 is like unconscionable. 5 is Carolina losing all of those toss-up games, which just doesn't seem, that doesn't really seem realistic to me. And 7, which is right now a value pick at plus 110, that's that's... That is a conservative estimate in terms of Carolina prevailing in those toss-up games. That's two and two in those four toss-up games. Did you put Missouri in a toss-up? Yeah, Missouri, okay. Florida, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky. and Texas A&M. Oh, and Wait, you, put you threw Kent- A&M into toss-up? Or we, can, yeah, or we can put that in a loss and say two of those three. Two of at Missouri, Florida, and I at would, Tennessee. I would say, that's what I was going to ask you earlier, is toss-up, I would put Kentucky, I go back and forth on. But I would still say toss up. So I think I think Kentucky's I think Kentucky's a win. But I I yeah. think I think even you know even as I say it's a win, there there will be at, of the games that are wins or toss ups, there will be at least two games out of that where something goes wrong, you don't play well. <laughs> yeah. um, but and see, that's not just for South Carolina. That's that's football. These yeah. these games are much closer than we ever give them credit for like yeah. uh, we can put Missouri you know as well South Carolina should beat Missouri or you know has a great shot to beat Missouri has a good shot whatever we want to say but um, that when it actually becomes game week and both sides are putting every last ounce of energy into trying to find an edge trying to find an advantage things happen like we put yeah. Vanderbilt in the win category but South Carolina has had to gut out wins over Vanderbilt <laughs> A lot of times over the mm-hmm. last decade that easily could have gone either way. So, so if we say when, it, when it, I well, when I say eight and four would be great, I'm saying that could even include an L that you didn't expect. But then if, if that's the and case, win that, you that means you yeah. got a win you didn't expect as well. And I, I'm that that may be a better scenario than than just sort of that's, winning the eight that, that you you yeah. kind of uh, hope to win. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm leaning right now. Like I would, I think I would gladly trade. A win against Alabama, Clemson, or Georgia for, for like a, a loss. loss to Missouri. Yeah, for a loss at Missouri or yeah. you know at Tennessee. But that's the thing we we like to put. Oh, Tennessee, you know Tennessee sucks. They're, you know South Carolina should beat Tennessee, but it's in Knoxville. That game's almost always close. You always have to get out a win there. So you know it's we we like to if we think about it from a broad perspective. Yeah, we can move the numbers around and say yeah, South Carolina should. You know if they have a good year, you know they can win seven games, but. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, these are still kids playing a game, and it's very hard to – it's very unpredictable. I guess so, and when I'm looking at a toss-up, I'm thinking, what is a game that going into it, the spread is going to be a score or less? Carolina right now is already a 9.5 or 10-point favorite against North, against North Carolina. They're going to be a 20- or 30-point favorite against Charleston Southern. They're probably going to be close to a double-digit favorite against Vanderbilt, depending on how the season goes. I could see Kentucky being in that, like, 8 or 9 – um, and then Texas A&M, again, that's at the end of the season, so it's really hard to predict that now, but it's 
it wouldn't blow me away if that was a you know Texas A and M minus seven or even minus seven. And yeah, a half, and that's we'll the hard thing. Score. Everybody, I would say everybody. A lot of people want to you know predict the season. What mm-hmm. is the record? I don't know, man. And and it's not just a cop out, but it's like you can go th- unless unless the team that you cover is just obviously heads and shoulders like we have a body of work we know the roster we know the two deep they have a big body of work they have most of their guys returning and and they're obviously heads and shoulders better than everybody on their schedule it's hard to go through and say they're going to win this amount of games or if you just know i mean they were horrible last year and there's there's no help on the way they're probably going to be pretty bad you know it's hard to say i mean right now we can look we know that Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson are probably better football teams than South Carolina. Or no probably about it. I mean, Clemson, at least offensively, is elite. Got some questions about their defense um, in the front seven. But I think they have more questions than Bama or Georgia in that regard. But the rest of the teams, it, you know, it's it's closer. You know, and maybe South Carolina is on paper even better than a Missouri, a Tennessee, a Florida, et cetera. But it's not that big of a gap Mm -hmm. to where I mean we need to see the teams play like one or two weeks before we can start sorting everything out I think what what if you have a couple injuries going into the Missouri game what if you're all yeah Jake Bentley Brian Edwards and Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster are all hurt obviously that changes the calculus of your season yeah so yeah yeah, I mean you, you don't know and I I mean we can sit there and say seven wins easy but then I mean you look at ESPN FPI and uh it only has South Carolina favored in five games this year so well, that's what I'm saying. You have the five, and then if you say 500 in toss-up games, which I think is fair, I don't think anybody could hear me say that and say, oh, you're being a homer. No, I mean, a, a toss-up game, you're probably statistically, if you look at a 10-year analysis of games that are on three points of either side of the spread, I feel like Carolina's probably like 500, maybe a couple games above or a couple games below. That's just kind of how those things work. So you factor that in, that gets you to seven, which is why I feel reasonably good about Carolina's ability to hit the over there. Um, but but I guess we will all find out. We'll get a good idea of what the rest of the season is going to look like. Starting on Saturday at 3.30, South Carolina is playing North Carolina. A North Carolina team that's going to look very different than they did last year. They've been absolutely horrendous the last two years. They've won five games. I, I didn't know this until I started digging into their schedule a couple weeks ago. They've only won three games against FPS, uh, FBS opponents in the last two years. They have five wins. Two of those are over Western Carolina. One of them is against Old Dominion. And then two of them, interestingly enough, are against Pitt. But they have a new head coach in Mac Brown. They have a new offensive coordinator in Phil Longo. They have a new co-defensive coordinator in Jay Bateman, although Mac Brown did retain uh, Tommy Thigpen, who was there last year for North Carolina. What's your guys' take on this game? I, I have told people, as long as they can get Carolina up to, like, minus 10 to hammer that, feel really good about Carolina. North Carolina is in a ton of transition. They have talent. Uh, Chris, your piece on Gamecock Central, I always enjoy reading the um, I don't remember exactly what you call it, but basically looking at like comparing the star power of each of the teams uh, during the week leading up to the you know whatever game. I always enjoy seeing that. And North Carolina's got some talent, but so much transition. And I think the word that Mac Brown used to describe the last scrimmage that North Carolina had this August was frightening. Which yeah. just if you're a Carolina fan, you got to be feeling great about that. Well, they they've got they do have some talent. You're right. Um, they got some youth. They're thin at some spots. They lost. I think last year they lost five games by you know a touchdown or less so they were close in some situations but they don't have a lot of quality depth they're also going to be missing one of their starting corners is going to be out at least a half we don't know if it's first or second half because of the fight in the nc state game also one of their linebackers who may be a backup maybe a starter dominique ross he's going to be out as well for a half we don't know if they'll split those up or it'll be same half we don't know first or second 
um, and I'm sure they're not going to advertise that until until the game starts. But that's one thing to consider. Um, you know, offensively, their their system it can create some issues because um, it's nothing that USC hasn't seen, whether it's on tape. Phil Longo at Sam Houston State, of course, he was at Ole Miss last year. He's not going to have the experienced quarterback or the receivers that he had there. Um, but he's got a couple good running backs and Michael Carter and Antonio Williams. They have some receivers like Daz Newsome, the Brown brothers, you know, are guys who have speed, can take the top off the defense, inexperienced quarterback, you know, a guy who can move around and make some throws, but he's a freshman. So how is he going to perform? Can South Carolina get to him early? Can they force some mistakes? I think those are some key storylines. And the Gamecocks defensive front, I, I, to me, I think we're going to have an early idea of maybe – if the defensive line can make a difference for the Gamecocks, not only in this game but going forward, this is probably one of the weaker fronts they're going to see this year um, when you factor in talent and inexperience. Their center, Nick Polino, just moved over uh, less than two weeks ago to center. He, he's got a little experience, but he's played guard, so he's moved to center. Marcus McKeithen, who's actually from Barnwell, South Carolina, um, is going to be holding down a guard spot. He played in just a few games last year as a backup. Uh, their right tackle hadn't played in many games, and one of their guards, Ed Montillis, um, has never taken a snap. So this will literally be his first action. So that, to me, is a key. And then you look at defensively, Jay Bateman, you look at what he did at Army. They do a lot of different things defensively, a lot of movement, a lot of disguise, a lot of blitzing from from different spots, delayed blitzes, things like that. So I think getting the run game going for South Carolina is going to be key so they don't get into some of those third downs where you get obvious passing situations and they can sort of bring some confusion i think it helps the gamecocks that they've got jake bentley you know senior guy who's seen a lot but they'll have some change-ups and some different things so they'll have to be ready for that it's going to be more important than ever for jake to be able to, to keep his cool and to bring sort of a you know a, a calmness and a maturity to a game that's it's it's the first game of the season both teams are going to make some mistakes there's going to be some emotional ups there's going to be some emotional downs um the other interesting thing about jay bateman he's a two-time broils finalist and so he's a very you know, well-regarded, recognized defensive mind. There was a great write-up about a month ago in Sports Illustrated about guys that are pioneering, you know, what some people would call a positionless defense, but sort of what you're talking about, Chris. You know, you're, you're just disguising looks. You're bringing guys from everywhere. And when you're breaking in a couple of new offensive linemen, you know, Eric Douglas is going to be likely getting his first start, or Javon Gwynn's going to be getting his first start. Hank Manos, it'll be his second start, you know, just the one start in the bowl game, but, you know, still relatively new at that position. So if they're throwing a lot of confusing looks at you, there might be some communication errors. Jake Bentley might find himself under pressure, so I agree with you. you got to establish the running game, and Jake's just got to be more calm and more composed than he's ever been. He's got to really take control um, of, of the offense. Now, that being said, I still feel pretty good about Carolina's ability to go in there and win, even if the offense is kind of sloppy. I could absolutely see this being a... 28 to 13 kind of game doesn't feel totally outrageous especially if we're building in you know maybe some hiccups given that Carolina's going to see some some different looks there on uh in, in terms of facing North Carolina's defense but I, I still feel pretty good about it just because of all the inexperience you mentioned all the turnover and the fact that it's it's I mean it's just going to take a while to, to turn around a program that won three FBS games in the last two years yeah I agree I um you know I've heard this is a North Carolina team that's that's really struggled in the scrimmages, um, you know, on, on top of what Mac Brown has said. I, I think, um, you know, like you said, th- this is year four for Will Muschamp. It's year one for Mac Brown. There are some, you know, he, there are some pieces there that he um, sort of inherited that, that it can help. Um, you know, I, I really I like a couple of their receivers I, I think are pretty good. I think Sam Howell um, is going to be good in time, but 
you know, I, I think they're going to really try to limit um, things for him. I would imagine you have to do that with a freshman quarterback. That very much plays into South Carolina's favor as a veteran defense. I think they can probably do a lot of different things and, and try to put him in a position to be uncomfortable. And, you know, to Chris's point, I, I think South Carolina should be able to run the football against this front, I believe. And to me, this offense, just from what we saw last year, all that, I, I think we're going to see this offense – has continued to evolve. There's going to be some new things. We're going to see some stuff we didn't see last year. Um, you know, I, I imagine you may see some more actual four wide type stuff just because of the situation at tight end. Um, you know, maybe some maybe some under center stuff. Just some different looks that we didn't necessarily see last year. But I think that when this offense was at its best, it was getting explosive plays. And when it was getting those explosive plays, it was because they were able to run the football and teams were. Um, you know, put in a position to have to deal with that. That opens up everything down the field. I actually like the Carolina receiving core um, against a, a kind of suspect uh, UNC defense and, you know, a secondary that's going to be missing a guy. I, you know, I, I just think it sets up well for South Carolina. I know it's week one. There's going to be there's going to be some week one jitters for guys. There's going to be more mistakes than usual. Probably be some just weird plays. There always is, you know. But I, right now, I mean – the the number that keeps coming to my head, I, I think like thirty one to ten type type yeah. game, I, I think makes sense. And then, you know, if Carolina gets a, a big turnover or something, pick six, maybe that number goes up. If, you know, North Carolina gets a big turnover or pick six, scores on defense or special teams, you know, maybe they end up scoring seventeen, twenty points, something like that. But I, I sort of think baseline thirty one to ten is just sort of the to me on paper, that's the distance between those two teams right now. Yeah. That feels about right. I can't wait. Are y'all uh, are either one of or both of you going? I will not be there. And by the way, uh, before we get any later, I've got to mention the fact that we have a new sponsor um, that is new for our podcast, but not new for Gamecock Central readers. And uh, that is the return of our Slotsky's Deli um, contest on our forum. And you're making a face over there, like I you won't love end on this Slotsky's. Dude, There's one right around we the, should go right there the after this. Yes, we absolutely should. And um, everyone listening should go. And um, we're actually, you know what, dude? We, we need to give away, I'm doing this on the fly, but we need to give away some Slotskis to a podcast listener Ooh, as well, not just it. on the forum. So um, I've, I've got some gift cards that um, I'm going to be able to pick up this week um, for our contest, but... Um, first, let's talk about the predict and win. So, you don't have to be a subscriber to get in on the predict and win. If you just go, if you're a subscriber, go to the Insiders Forum. If you're not a subscriber, go to the Fighting Gamecocks Forum. It's pinned to the very top. It says it's back. Slot C's tailgating trade giveaway. And um, all you have to do is register. Register for free. You don't have to sign up, like subscribe or pay any money. And all you have to do is give the score to the game on Saturday. And then tiebreaker is the starting quarterback for North Carolina's passing yardage. That's just mm. a tiebreaker. But you, the actual contest is the closest to the score, and the winner get a $60 tailgating tray to Slotsky's Bakery and Cafe. That's uh, 529 Bush River Road, Columbia, South Carolina, or 1305 Knox Abbott Drive, Casey, South Carolina. And um, also, if you want to get something catered from them, that's 803 605 one six eight six but um yeah dude I've, I've gotten the tray before it's really cool you get your sandwiches you can 
pick from a variety of different sandwiches. You get chips, you get uh, chocolate chip cookies. Their cookies um, are dank. Yeah, cookies are I love are money. Um, but yeah, so Slotsky's Deli is um, a recurring sponsor for us on Gamecock Central. But they wanted to get mentioned on the podcast this year, so they are our newest uh, and first another Carolina podcast sponsor. So yeah. we are very excited about that. So thank excited you so to much, Slotsky's on there and. Um, I know one person in this room is very happy because we'll be getting some free Slotskis as part yeah. of this as well. So maybe next podcast we'll get it and Two uh, bring it in. We do like a little, so. a little live uh, taste test. Make yes. Derek Phillips jealous that we're doing a, a doing a tasting <laughs> without him. Um, you know, I remember so one of my best friends growing up, Sam Klein. He lived like really far away, uh, mm-hmm. out sort of near Ben Lippin. And on the way back, I would spend the night at his house like pretty much every Saturday night for like all of elementary school and middle school. And driving back. Sunday afternoon, we would always stop at Schlotzky's. And that was the first place I ever had Sun Chips, which is super random. Um, I like Sun Chips. They're yeah, very so I underrated. Get, I, I used to get their little, they had like little personal pizzas that I think was maybe on the kids' menu. And then eventually, you know, kind of like grew into the, into the actual. You graduated yeah, as yeah, a graduated, sandwich. graduated, thank you, into the yeah. sandwiches. Um, but yeah, Wes, stop great. pulling up the pictures of the sandwich. I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry now. It's like almost Dude, lunchtime. Look at that. They're, they're smoked cheesy. Which oh, is yeah. um, mm-hmm. get that yeah, off the screen. I, they I have need a bunch of different right varieties, but the uh, the turkey barbecue bacon smoked cheesy is oh, uh, look at that thing. My go to jam. I'll, dude, I'm I'm not a veggie like I I like meat, but this veggie avocado one that does look with good. that sauce on there mm-hmm. too actually looks. We pretty, can't we can't say it looks good. Pretty they, money. They, people listening can't see what we're looking at. Well, they have <laughs> they to go, go to find, find out. To me. If you yeah. if you go to Slotsky's, then you will see. Yeah. Um. Again, they yeah. have one Bush River Road. That's five twenty nine Bush River Road, Columbia. Two nine two one zero, and then a thirteen oh five Knox Abbott Drive, KC South Carolina. I was I was actually at the KC one. That's on, the one close uh, to me. It's right next to the Diet Walmart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was over there on Friday. Um, you know, met with those guys and talked some football and and got this um this promotion sort of locked in. But uh, very very excited to have them on again for another year and. I'm excited to get some free Slotskis, to be honest. It's gonna so, be great. So and we're gonna give away a lot of free Slotskis too. Perfect for game day. Which, by the way, is three days away. So this time next week, we're going to be talking about a real Carolina football game that will have just happened, and then another Carolina football game that will be about to happen because that's what happens now around this yes. time of year. I, you I know can't what? Wait. All right, I'm making this up on the fly, but oh, I say it. we're going to post a thread for next week's podcast, mm-hmm. sending in questions about mm-hmm. the game, mm-hmm. be it about North Carolina and how the game went, or about the upcoming game at the time with Charleston Southern. Mm-hmm. Our, we'll pick a question of the day from that. Mm. We'll answer the question, but whoever gets picked as the question of the day, um, I'll give them uh, $20 to Slotsky's. Fantastic. Wow. That's, that's all you have to do? All you have to do is post a good question? Yeah, but it's got to be a good question. Yeah. No, Sorry, Josh. Um, Ooh. Oh, wow. Oh. Adding Josh. Ooh. That's brutal. Um, all right. Well, we're going we're gonna to have that going throughout the uh, rest of the season as well, which is great. Um, and... All of this, like you said, you don't have to be a subscriber to Gamecock Central, but if you want to be, because if you want to make sure that you're up to speed with everything happening over the course of the football season, you can use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD to get a month of Gamecock Central Insider Access for free. All you have to do, use the code GCPOD. It's fantastic. Month for free. That's all there is to it. Also, subscribe to the newsletter. Also, be on the lookout for the new Get Cocky podcast from Gamecock Central, which is going to be Really fun. We're going to have that rolling throughout the season. That's going to be on Mondays and Fridays. We're going to have this rolling on Wednesdays. So much going on right now, which makes sense because it's the start of football season. So y'all go, uh, you know, get some sleep, prepare yourselves for uh, for never-ending football from now until basically February. Will do. 
Cool. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Put industry leading, difference making, and tomorrow shaping on your to-do list. Explore Deloitte technology careers at deloitte.com slash tech careers and engineer your future at Deloitte.